This is Nicole Deffenbaugh. If you are enjoying the podcast, we invite you to tell your friends and family and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. So I was just coming out of the sedation um, after my colonoscopy, and I was outside in the cold, dark night, and the nurses had followed behind me to take me to my car because I was still unsteady on my feet. Um, I climbed in the back of the car, and the nurses handed me my screaming three-month-old baby. We had about a three-hour drive home, and it was going to be really tough mentally and physically. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the personal stories of individuals uh, like clinicians, patients, healthcare providers, and loved ones, caregivers who have navigated the U.S. healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deppenbach, and we are joined here today with Jennifer Woody Collins, who's going to be talking about knowing yourself and your body and being aware of our humanness in medicine. She's going to be providing some examples from her experiences living with Crohn's disease. So, welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Nicole. Um, for those of us listening, for those of you who are listening, um, Jennifer is on Skype, and uh, we've already had some technical issues. We put out a call for any suggestions and also for donations for our podcast because uh, we're using very um, sort of primitive equipment. Um, so I apologize. We've already had a uh, a little bit of uh, technical issues, but so um, getting back to your story, they put you, uh, helped you into the back of a car with your screaming three-month-old child. Um, so, uh, what was uh, what was going on at the time? So, um, I had just recently moved to a very rural part of Ohio, um, and there there wasn't um, a gastroenterologist to help me with my Crohn's disease in my county, and so I decided I would just, you know, go to a place that I felt comfortable. So, um, what happened? So, what was happening in the story? So, um, the reason we were three hours away getting a colonoscopy was because we just moved to rural Ohio, where there weren't really any um, doctors that could treat Crohn's disease um, close to me. And um, I made that decision to, you know, oh, no problem. I can drive three hours away before I had a baby. Um, and that um, decision quickly turned out to be a bad one for um, trying to balance, you know, getting put under, being starving all day, you know, working with a child that needs to be nursed and in the car and all these things. Um, having both my husband and I have to take day off of work to do all that every time I needed to see a doctor was just not um, something that was sustainable and I you know I, I just um, highlight that because I think um, folks in rural areas oftentimes don't have access to to specialists for Crohn's disease or whatever condition they may have um, and it just adds a layer of complexity to accessing healthcare, even if you do have great insurance and resources otherwise, um, it's just something that I think some folks don't think about sometimes. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer, I'm curious if you could tell our listeners, give us a little bit about your, your history and background. How long have you had Crohn's disease? When were you diagnosed? So I um, was 
I think I was maybe around nine or 10 years old when I was diagnosed, um, but I had been feeling pretty bad pretty much my whole life, um, and it took a while for them to figure out what was going on with me. So this would have been the 1980s. Things have luckily gotten better with Crohn's since that time. Um, but I just remember being in sixth grade and going into the office at my school to sign up to be on the yearbook staff, but I was in so much pain I could barely even walk. Um, and the woman in the office was just like, you have to, you know, we have to call your parents. There's something really wrong with you. And I was like, no, no, I, I need to keep going. I need to sign up for this. And I was also really obsessed with perfect attendance. And I, I, I just had a lot of, um, you know, goals as I still do and try, was trying to do too much. Um, then probably still am now, but yeah. that's another, um, lesson I think we should, uh, consider when we have lifelong chronic diseases. So 30 years later, um, still kind of struggling with that uh, balance of my health and achieving what I'd like to with my life. Hmm. So 30 years, um, and my dog is scratching. She's sitting next to me, so I apologize. So uh, <laughs> listeners are getting all kinds of noises today. Um, so you've had Crohn's for, for 30 years, um, and it's very typical for people with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, not to get diagnosed for a couple of years. So most people have symptoms. Um, I know I did for a number of years before you get diagnosed. But um, the other thing is people are younger and younger. Um, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, <clears throat> excuse me, people used to be in their um, 20s, uh, late 20s, early 30s, and it's more common now for people to get diagnoses as kids. Um, so you're nine, ten, and you're trying to, you're adamant about your yearbook and, and trying to forge forward, um, but also recognizing that you were sick. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what happened um, in terms of the early years of your, your diagnosis? What was that like as a nine-year-old? Sure. So um, I would say I was hospitalized, I, I don't know, at least... 10 times um, from the age of 8 through 18, so yearly or more than yearly, um, I would get away with, you know, maybe a year, a whole year without the hospital sometimes, um, and that was really because, like, at first they didn't know what was wrong with me, and then afterwards they just didn't have a good way to control, even if they knew it was Crohn's, they didn't have a good way to treat me, um, and a lot of um, the treatment back then was just really high levels of steroids, so prednisone, which I'd be put on for you know, indefinite amounts of time, a year with 80 milligrams of prednisone, um, which made me get the moon face, which made me grow mm -hmm. hair on the back of my neck, which was, you know, horrible for a teenage girl um, to deal with. But um, that really was kind of our main options back then. I also remember just, um, you know, bowel rest, which is a, mm. a, a not very happy term for saying you don't get to eat anything for a week. Um, oh. So, yeah, being in the hospital, being just on IV fluids, and that was kind of like what they mm. could figure out, just stop eating. Wow. You um, had talked about some of the effects of the medication you were on and had talked about sort of the mooning that you get with prednisone and other steroids. Um did you ever have any sort of experiences um, with things that, uh, you know, what, what it was like being a young kid and having these effects and how you were, were treated and what that was like? Sure, definitely. So um, I remember sitting in um, 
my science class and I had put my hair up in a ponytail and the kid behind me had said, ooh, gross. And I was like, what are you talking about? And um, he, he was like, you have hair growing on your neck, all down your neck. You're like, you know, super hairy. You're a girl and you shouldn't be. And I was just mm. completely mortified and embarrassed. I, I hadn't realized that I had grown hair on the back of my neck. Oh, okay. um, and of course, again, being a teenager, being a young person with that kind of thing is, uh, is awful. So, mm. um, you know, and I ate a ton. I remember keeping food journals and I, cause I guess they were trying to figure out what I was, you know, what was wrong with me, but I would write down breakfast, four bowls of cereal, two turkey sandwiches. Like I was just eating so, so much mm. food cause I was starving because of the steroids. Um, um, but also had tons of energy. I guess that was the upside and was uh, still able to be very active in sports and things like that. So um, not all bad, but um, if anybody's been on prednisone, they know that it's not the greatest thing for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. It can also have uh, detrimental side effects too. Oste- I've had osteopenia from it, you know, um, with your bones. And um, so I'm sorry that you went through that. And, um, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that because um, we often don't talk about the effects of the medications we're on and how it really interferes with our lives um, yep. physically, but also emotionally and in this case socially too. Um, and uh, you know, having friends who've had kids with IBD too, it's not just the illness itself. Whenever anybody has a chronic disease and they're on medications, there's often, and I say Western medications too, there can be side effects and, and that can really affect people's lives. So um, it sounds like it was really challenging and I appreciate you sharing that story. So you've gone through um, a lot of colonoscopies. Um, did you have any surgeries? So yeah, um, I had, I'm, only, I'm very fortunate, I've only had one surgery I had in 2008. So in October of 2008, so just about 10 years ago, and, um, you know, it worked, I suppose, um, briefly I was, you know, I had a pretty bad, uh, bit of diseased bowel that they removed. Um, but I think it was only about six months after my surgery that they found that my Crohn's had, you know, reoccurred and I had to be put on, um, Humira, which mm-hmm. I'm still taking, which is, um, an immunosuppressant drug that you inject, um, every two weeks in my case. Um. And so, you know, that's kind of an example of we've come from prednisone to something like Humira, um, which is not um, uh, as bad in terms of making you starving and making your face look funny, but you um, do indeed get a lot of side effects. So in the last couple of years, I've had... Um, cellulitis, which is a skin infection um, that happened on my nose. Um, I've had uh, shingles. I've had the flu. I've had pneumonia. (laughs) Um, So, you know, but not Crohn's. um, But I'd say out of every year, there's at least six weeks where I'm pretty much bedridden with some kind of sickness that Mm. I, yeah, I attribute to being on these immunosuppressant drugs. Mm. Yeah, so they, um, you know, like many medications, they can be really beneficial for your illness, but then also um, the side effects. So it's it's so for people listening, um, a lot of these immunosuppressant drugs, um, biologics, right, that they're called, 
um, are helping to suppress the autoimmune disease. So your auto, your immune system is sort of overactive. I'm simplifying this in lay terms. Your immune system is overactive and it's fighting itself. Um, and as a result, you can have a lot of these um, complications. And uh, when you take an immunosuppressant, it's really <clears throat> slowing down your immune system. And so it's not attacking your colon, for example, your small intestine or your intestinal tract but then that also makes it harder for you to fight off other illnesses um, and uh, viruses and bacterial infections, et cetera. So um, yeah, so it can be, it can be challenging. Um, so you've been through a lot, it sounds like, um, in your life and um, wanted to talk to you since, you know, this is about um, awareness of your body and talking about um, awareness of the humanity, the humanness in medicine too. Um, wondered if you could tell us a little bit, sort of shift gears in your story um, and where you sort of come in the last couple years of your journey, you know, so you've had 30 years. Um, I'd be curious to hear sort of what you've learned um, and uh, what your more recent experiences have, have been like. Sure. So um, I would say that um, in the past maybe decade, um, I have developed a really um, deep and uh, important for me personally yoga practice where that involves for me some physical postures and doing yoga like you would think of people um, doing down dog or, or whatever. But also um, for me, it has a really big component of meditation. Um, and I just find that I think a lot of folks with a lot of different conditions, stress and um, mental distress can really harm us and really be um, a gateway to our conditions getting worse. Um, so I found that my yoga and meditation practices have been vital to keeping my, myself healthy, but also to really, um, it's, it's been a pathway to understanding what it is that I need to do for myself. So not only um, as far as, you know, moving my body, staying healthy, getting a little bit of activity, but also in my relationships with my family, with my partner, um, and with my doctors, it's been able to have me really grounded in who I am and what I need and what um, I'm able to say and express and advocate myself um, a lot better than I, I used to be able to. Um, it's also helped with some of the kind of emotional issues around having um, a incurable chronic disease that um, keeps you from doing what you ideally would want to do in life um, and, and helps you maybe reframe um, the possibilities of what you could be, you can do and can be as a human in the world. Um, and, you know, that, that maybe sounds a little bit um, sad or depressing, but it, it, it actually is the opposite to me. Um, because I think that maybe I had been um, in one narrative that was, you know, you're an intelligent person, you have a lot of potential, you should go to college, you should have a fantastic career, um, making a big difference in the world or making a lot of money or something like that. Um, and I think I do have a good career and I, I do make a difference in the world, but I've just had to do it at maybe a slower pace um, mm. than others and I maybe had to take a few more breaks than other people maybe have. And it's not really necessarily a scale back of my expectations, but it's it's just a more healthy and holistic and positive um, way to for me to engage with the world. And, and actually, I think that even if you don't have 
um, Crohn's disease or, or something um, that's identifiable. I think a lot of us suffer from illnesses and stress on the body um, just from the striving and the trying to achieve the things that we think we need to do in this life. Um, so I, I just would encourage folks with Crohn's or whatever condition or folks that are, you know, quote unquote healthy to think about that. Think about sitting and being quiet and inquiring into yourself about whether what your, your, how your life is, is really serving you and whether you're able to, um, really feel holistically healthy in all aspects of your life. That's wonderful. Um, and really good advice for all of us is, is that awareness of reflective practices. Um, do you remember the moments in your past where um, sort of those real, those turning points where you were somebody, it sounds like really trying to make sense of your illness and your body and now you're doing yoga and meditation. Do you, do you remember those moments that were really sort of pinnacle, those turning points that got you to where you are, the people, the conversations, the whatever they were? Um, I'd say, sure, a, a pretty big turning point for me was, um, you know, after maybe 10 years of practicing yoga, I became a yoga teacher. Um, and in my training, they really stressed the need to for meditation um, and for con- contemplative practices. And, you know, that that's hard, like to make time every day to sit down and not, you know, quote unquote, not do anything, <laughs> not be productive. Um, it's really... Um, but when I was able to really establish that as a as an ongoing part of my life, I saw and I continue to see huge gains um, in my you know just ability to negotiate life, to interact with people, to um, you know understand and, and kind of ride the waves that are going to come with the ups and downs that are going to come with anybody's life, but um, the, the the waves that come with um, a disease like Crohn's. Um, just helping me understand, um, and this is, of course, a process, so there's not necessarily a pinpoint in time, but I can definitely say when I was able to finally integrate um, a consistent meditation practice um, into my life, I have um, been a lot more at ease, I would say, with um, what's happening to me in my life. How did, did you see any difference in your, um, illness as a result of doing these things? And, and what was that? Um, so, uh, you know, I do think that I, um, am feeling generally better. And as I mentioned, most of my issues now are more about getting viruses and infections as a result of the medication I'm on for Crohn's. I haven't had, um, a Crohn's problem in 10 years. So, um, but I am on Humira. So, um, you know, doctors, and I asked doctors, Hey doctor, you know, I've been fine. I've had clean colonoscopies for 10 years. Can I stop taking this medicine? Mm. It makes me get sick all the time. And no, I cannot because then the Crohn's can come back. So, Mm. um, it's, it, I would, you know, so it's hard for me to attribute if it's meditation or if it's Humira, but it's probably a combination of the two. Um, I, Crohn's is a very mysterious illness. Um, I think it, it has a lot to do with your mental state, um, your stress, your relationships. In my lifetime, I'd say that after I was um, more on my own, after after moving out of my parents' house, um, and kind of a little bit more of an agent in my life, um, 
I generally since that time have been better since my, since moving out of my parents' house. (laughs) Um, so, um, not that it's been perfect, but, um, just being able to have more control of, uh, who I'm around and kind of what I'm doing has been really helpful. Um, one of the things that your story makes me think of, um, that has been parallel to my story too, is, um, what is remission and sort of this definition of remission. And I find that interesting with the doctors because you asked that question, can I take, you know, I, I haven't had a flare. My colonoscopies are clean, um, you know, and, and not showing any signs of, of active disease. So can I stop my medication? And I've been told the same thing. No, you know, you can't. So what is remission? Um, I just want to tell people listening um, that there's this great book that came out this past fall on reifying women's experiences. Um, and uh, there are a number of stories in there of uh, talking about hidden illness and and because uh, that's what's talking about reifying um, these hidden experiences. Um, and in there, uh, I have a book chapter and I talk about this idea of remission because I've been in remission for a number of years, but nobody calls it that. Um, right. So, 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 what is remission? And the response is, you'll always need this medication the rest of your life. Um, right. And so, I think with chronic diseases, um, it's really hard to to for the medical community to say yes, you've reached a certain point when an illness is considered chronic and active. So, is there really ever an end point? What I'm hearing you say, though, is that you've really figured out a way to make sense of of your body and to, um, I love the words that you, you talked about, um, being an agent, um, for yourself and being in control of your, and that's hard too, is you've, I don't know about you, but, but did you feel a sense of like not being in control of your own body when your illness was active and, and what that was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you kind of are, you get angry at, at your body. Like you're like, I was, you know, I was being really healthy. I was eating well. I was, you know, taking care of myself as best way as I knew, but then I'm so sick. I can't, you know, leave the bathroom for a week, you know, and, or, or whatever. And it's, like I said, it's mysterious sometimes. Like sometimes you do everything you think you need to do and you still are just sick to the point of completely being, um, incapacitated. And I would also say, you know, another frustration is the feeling that your body isn't um, part of the consideration um, that the medical community maybe has when they are treating you. So they, I feel like I am my intestines to uh, a lot of my doctors um, and the rest of my body, you know, I'm getting this um, flare, this weird infection on the skin on my nose, which turns my nose big and red. And like, I'm like, Hey, this isn't good. And they're like, well, but your intestines is great. Mm -hmm. Um, and so these infections and all this stuff that's happening to me, it just seems to be secondary. It's not of concern to them, even though it's a huge, you know, it impacts my life in Mm -hmm. a big way. It's just not that important. Yeah. You've become synonymous with Crohn's. And so that's the number one thing. Yeah. Then, um, can empathize with you on that. Um, so I must ask, um, you said you were frustrated with your body. So have you come to a point of forgiveness and acceptance of your body? 
Um, I'd say that's a process <laughs> also. Um, when I'm feeling good, it's easier. When I'm sick, it's harder. Um, but, um, you know, I think I, I typically have, I think I can see a pattern that I have where I can get like in this, you know, really down in the dumps, like I'm miserable and everything's hopeless. And, um, luckily over the, you know, course of my life of dealing with this, those periods are shorter and I'm able to climb back out of that quicker. Um, again, like, um, with meditation helping me understand, um, that I can, choose the way my thoughts and um, emotions are affecting me um, and so that's that's been really helpful um, when I was younger it wasn't the case at all I would I was definitely I had bouts of depression um, I had you know lots of lots of issues related to hating my body for it you know you know not not supporting me in my life in many ways mm-hmm. Um, so not true acceptance, but definitely sort of a continued, uh, journey, self-exploration of your body. Um, but it sounds like you're, you've really figured out, uh, like you said, contemplative practices to really help, um, help with the ways in which you treat your body, understand your body, your perceptions of yourself. Um, and it sounds like it's been a, a, a long journey. Yes, and it, it's an ongoing journey. I mean, I don't think that, um, I mean, it, it's just good for me to recognize that, you know, I haven't figured it out, and it's it's okay if I end up back in a kind of dark place that because I, I know I can also get, get out of that. Mm-hmm. So we've also figured out ways to, um, to be able to uh, figure, like you see it coming, um, it's interesting you had mentioned the depression as well, because I also know that's very common. Um, I myself has have, have had issues with that, and I know other people too, because again, you're trying to make sense of, of your body and your illness. I want to, um, we're a little over the halfway point, so I want to go back um, to your experiences in the healthcare system. Um, not, not to take away from your experiences of what you're going through for yourself and your reflective practices, which is a part of the purpose of this podcast. Right. So when we navigate the U.S. healthcare system, you are talking about the ways in which you are um, identified and diagnosed with an illness, the way that you are treated in the healthcare system, but then the ways in which you internalize that as well when you're outside of the system. Right. And so the yeah. system sort of stays with us um, is what I'm hearing you say. And I talk about that as well. Um, so I think that's something to, to recognize is where, where do we learn the language to talk about our illness? How do we learn how to treat our bodies? Um, where is the perceptions and the behaviors, um, the beliefs and the norms of the culture of medicine? Um, and so where do we learn all of that? So I want to go back into your experiences um, in the healthcare system and um, help us understand some of uh, what you've learned um, as a result of having gone through the system for 30 years and maybe touch on some of the highlights that are good. So I, I had a fantastic doctor when I was living in North Carolina that, you know, in 30 years, I'd say she was the, the fantastic doctor I had. Um, and I came to her after being fired by another doctor um, because my case was too complicated. And I, I explained that to her, and she said, 
well, of course it's complicated. Each person's case is complicated. That's kind of, you know, par for the course with Crohn's disease. And just saying that was like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Right. Like, I'm not a problem. <laughs> I'm, you know, what, what I'm dealing, what you, you know, you expect to have to have, you know, to see what you're seeing in me. I'm not something that's like hopeless or, you know, just too much to deal with. Mm. Um, um, and, and, you know, every time I saw her, she, you know, she, she just has a smile on her face. She's gentle. She listened, um, you know, also just completely brilliant doctor. Um, so, that was a really um, positive experience, and I was lucky to work with her for about a decade. Um, mm. But as I mentioned, when I moved to Ohio, um, I was faced with um, finding a new doctor in a place that didn't have a gastroenterologist in the county I live in at all. Um, and so um, that was really frightening honestly, because I, you know, I was feeling really comfortable when you have a doctor that works well for you. It's, Mm. it's a, it's a really great source of, um, security. You know, you're like, you don't feel like you're going to be left out in the cold. Like if something happens, you're going to be taken care of, it's going to be okay. Mm. Um, but (laughs) when that, you know, your doctor maybe can retire or they could move or you can move, like Mm. lots of things can happen. And, and one thing I found really surprising was when I moved here and I was going to that doctor about three hours away, I would say, you know, hey, I'm looking for somebody that's a little bit closer to me. Is there some kind of a network of gastroenterologists that you could, you know, look and see, hey, this person's closer to you? And they were like, no, we don't have anything like that. I don't know anybody who works in that area of the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what? Really? Like, you know, that to me would be so helpful because um, I was like, don't you have like conferences or <laughs> you, you don't talk to each other? Mm. I mean, it just was really um, strange to me that there wasn't something like that. Um, mm. So it, it's just left, you're just kind of left out there hanging, spending a lot of time um, going to talk with people, telling your story over and over and over and over again. Mm. Um, if it doesn't work out with that doctor doing it all over, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of time and it's, it's just another aspect of having a disease like Crohn's that, um, prevent, it just takes away from the things that you'd rather be doing. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you talking about the fact that when you live in a rural area, it is really, really challenging to find a specialist. And when there's one within an hour radius, you know, you're sort of stuck with that one individual and you can only hope that that'll be a good relationship. Um, and right. so recognizing that the lack of a specialist, doctors in general, but the lack of specialists in rural areas can be challenging. And so your opening story, I want to go back to that. You drove three hours, you yeah. said, right, in, in order to have just a colonoscopy, right? Yeah. So I was going to him um, just kind of as to monitor my situation and then he wanted to have the colonoscopy. Um, and this is something I came to understand too, that some doctors want to do the colonoscopy themselves. Like they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they can read the results from another doctor. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't, or they wouldn't be looking at the right stuff or something. I don't know. But so he was adamant that he wanted to do it himself. Um, so we, um, we did that. We drove three hours. I've since um, found a doctor that's about an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. Instead, um, through some trial and error, and um, uh, not 
it's a doctor. <laughs> I have a doctor that's a bit closer. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm very happy with it, but, um, it's a little closer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, um, um, two things. I want to go back to what you had said about the good, um, experience that you had with a prior clinician. I heard you say that this individual had listened to what you said, um, acknowledged and recognized that you are complex, um, and that there's not necessarily an easy fix. Um, it, you also said she was brilliant. Um, so, so I'm hearing you say that they have clinical expertise, but also the, the manner in which they were communicating with you also added to, um, the effectiveness of your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, she, you know, I, my current doctor and I, you know, it's hard. People are different people. Of course, I have another female doctor. That was kind of one of my strategies. I was like, I'll look at the list of people who are available and I'll pick a woman because for me that is maybe that, you know, was possibly a clue that that might be a better relationship for me. Um, but that's not, that hasn't panned out. So I recently went to India and in order to, um, you know, be prepared and feel like I was in a good place to do that. I was talking to my gastroenterologist about what I should know, what I should consider, um, and I just remember she was at her um, desk, not really looking at me, but typing into her computer. And I said, um, you know, I, I understand a lot of people, even without Crohn's, get, you know, gastro distress issues in India. Um, and I just want to know, is there anything I should know or do? And she's like, no, you're fine. Just go. And I said, well, I, I have to take my Humira, which has to be refrigerated, and I'm going to be uh, traveling for at least um, 36 hours, and I don't really know the refrigeration situation when I get there. Oh, well, uh, you have to take your Humira, though, while you're there. And I said, I understand, but how do I make sure it stays refrigerated? And right. she's like, um, you probably need to call the manufacturer. Mm. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. So I, and then I said, well, there's some vaccinations that the CDC says you should get. And I, I had printed them out and she looked at them. She's like, oh no, you can't get this particular one because of your um, immunosuppression. And so, well, that's good to know. <laughs> so, mm. and she, all this, this whole time she was, you know, just typing away on her computer. I don't really know what mm. it was she was typing, but, um, uh, you know, she, the, what I came away from that meeting with her was just that she was like, you know, you're fine. Your colonoscopy results were good. The Humira is working. Uh, my job here is done. You know, mm. you may be having other things happening in your life, but, um, you know, that's really not my concern. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I would, I would just, um, I hope that doctors, you know, you know, we always say doctors should listen, but I think that, and we know, we also talk about how there's a lot of time pressures on them to get things done. Um, they don't have a lot of time to spend with each patient because of billing and, you know, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of um, barriers in the way to really communicating with patients. Um, but I would, I would just urge people to kind of reflect on, um, how it is that it's not just being nice, it's not just being um, a good person, but I think it's really a part of being a good doctor is is listening to people, like really listening to them, and then reflect on it on their own kind of biases and kind of 
how they're situating their role as a doctor. Is is their role at first and foremost to deal with, you know, in the case of a gastroenterologist, this person's intestines? And maybe question that and say, you know, maybe my role should be 50-50, their whole person as well mm-hmm. as their disease. Um, and just, I would love it if people could maybe think about um, where it is that they're maybe cutting people off from even bringing things up that are affecting them um, by the way they're responding. They're not even asking about it. Um, just just doing whatever they can possibly to, to consider the whole person that they're, they're treating. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see that. I, and, I, and I'm just not seeing that. And, and for me, um, for patients, what that means is, you know, I had a gastroenterologist at one point that made me feel secure and safe and acknowledged as a human being. I, I don't, unfortunately, have that right now. So for me, that's just saying, like, you can't really rely on your doctor to keep you um, healthy um, mm. and to help you. <laughs> and that's not a great uh, situation. But, and I, and I, you know, I also want to be careful of, about saying, you know, like, it's all up to you because um, there's tons of things that um, are just out of our control, out of our personal control. So we need to just recognize that there's a limit to what we can do ourselves to keep ourselves healthy. There's a limit to what our doctors can do. Doctors should recognize there's a limit to what they can do too. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, acknowledge that this is messy and this is, this can be frightening and this can cause a lot of anxiety and it, it's okay. Like it's, that's perfectly natural, <laughs> you know? Um, and just to, to refocus on ways that we can, um, be more supportive of our own selves, ask for help, ask people around you to be supportive of you in whatever way you need and, and I think that's one of the greatest signs of strength that you can have is to ask for help um, and for doctors to just um, have a little compassion for themselves that, you know, it's okay that they have pressures and they don't know everything, but also to um, have compassion for the people that they're, they're dealing with and see them as more than just bodies or body parts and as whole people. Yeah. Some really... Um really good advice and things that you touch on. And, and one of the things I, I think to to really advocate for, too, is, is this idea that, you know, we can only do so much, doctors can only do so much, um, and it really takes both people. And you figured out things to help for yourself that a doctor wouldn't necessarily know or recognize. Yoga, meditation, those are things that work for you. Um, I'm also hearing you say, though, that you were asking your doctor for additional resources. And um, one of the things I used to help remind clinicians um, that I worked with is that they have a team of people. And so if they don't know an answer, you know, does a social work social worker that they uh, know or in their team or a pharmacist, maybe other people can offer some advice. Um, and so um, it really does take a whole team or a clinical um, village, right, to treat a whole person. Um, and so uh, I, I can't help it but ask, I really want to know, have you ever said this to the doctor? Did you ever, have you ever yeah. felt empowered enough to say, I don't feel like you're listening to me or this is this is what I need from you right now? I haven't. And, you know, I've been actually thinking about that a lot. Um, as I'm also, I'm an academic also, and I, I study health communication, and um, there's, I always, like, come across articles I'm reading, and I'm like, I just want to mail this to her, <laughs> you know, 
and say, recheck this out. You know, this is yeah. where, how it's so, you know, your medicine, it can be harmed by not actively paying attention to the whole person. Um, and I, and I'm working, I think that's something I've been working on, um, is to feel grounded enough in myself and secure enough, um, in my position of knowing what I need and why it's okay for me to say, Hey, I'm not getting what I need from you. Um, I, what I do need is for you to listen, to look at me, to acknowledge my life is not great because of these drugs you put me on. <laughs> um, like, that would be really helpful. I think that a lot of people, including me, are afraid to do that because doctors are positioned as very powerful people that have a lot of knowledge and, and they, they do. They have a lot of education. They do know a lot of things. But um, as the person that's living in the body with the issue that is affecting you all the time, every day, you wake up with it, you go to bed with it, um, that doctor isn't having that experience. And so uh, any way that um, I am working towards bringing more of that picture to my doctor um, and, and helping her maybe understand why it's important to look at me and listen to me, and instead of saying, you know, you, you know you're going to India, fine, just go. Maybe instead saying, okay, I'm hearing that you are having a lot of questions and maybe some anxiety about this trip, and I, I totally understand that. Like, that's a big, you know, time to be away from medical care that you're secure with. You know, just acknowledging <laughs> um, that people are maybe having some emotions, and um, that, to me, would be a really great thing, easy fix. Yeah, you're really um, touching on some of the important components of listening and responding with empathy. Um, and so those are, those are really important. We are, um, at the end of our time, which goes by so quickly. Um, and, uh, so I always, uh, try to ask, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Um, I would, I would just encourage people to take care of themselves, ask for help, um, work towards building the confidence that in whatever way works for you. For me, it's meditation and yoga to feel that you are empowered enough to speak up for yourself and, and tell your medical providers what you need. Um, and yeah, just try to um, keep perspective and um, keep moving forward as best you can. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer Woody Collins, for being on our podcast today. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. And for those uh, listening, I wanted to give them the uh, title of the book. It's Reifying Women's Experiences with Invisible Illness, colon, Illusions, Delusions, Reality, um, edited by Kesha Morant-Williams and Francis, uh, Francis Selena Morant. Uh, so encourage people to check that out as we talk about living with uh, invisible or hidden illness. Again, we'd like to encourage you to like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. We are also on Twitter now, so you can tweet us there as well. And you can also leave comments, suggestions, or if you're interested in being interviewed at NicoleDeffenbaugh.com slash blog. We look forward to having you join us on next week's podcast. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.